0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So we're digging through 1 John. We're making our way. How long has it been now since, since we started 1 John? I think it's been a couple of months now. We're finally into the uh, second bit of chapter 4. What do you guys remember? If you could throw out just a word so far about... Um, just summarizing something you've picked up from first john what would you say
1: light light who else just shout it out love. light love you can repeat one of those two of you what else
0: okay there we go don't believe that's more than one word that's okay one sentence don't believe everything you hear light love Talking about the truth quite a bit, right? Related to that and uh, practicing the truth. Shannon's very first message, introducing 1 John, he told a story about himself as a kid. One of his friends getting picked on. You remember what he said? He said, enough. Enough, I'm tired of you picking on my friend. You guys remember that? Remember that story? And that he was saying that's kind of what John is saying with this letter. Enough. Enough harassing my people. Enough harassing God's church. You guys remember who, who's doing the harassing? So There's, there's kind of some, some fighting going on here, right? Within the church. And finally, John intervenes. And there's a group of people who were saying like, no, you know what? John, John's kind of old and he's kind of irrelevant now. And um, he actually didn't quite have it right. We've got it right. We've got real knowledge, and we got, it. We got this deep knowledge through our experience. And um, it's not really, you know, the gospel thing, it's not really about what you do. It's about what you know. And through our experience, we can, we can have this secret knowledge of God, right? And, then, and, and they were saying that, um, some of them were saying, you know what? It doesn't matter how we live. We can do whatever we want immorality, whatever, it doesn't matter because it only touches the body. All that matters is what's going on in, in your mind and in your spirit, right? And other people were saying, like, no, we have to reject all desire, all pleasure, because, again, it's about the spirit and, uh, and escaping into, into the heavenly realms." So these are some perspectives that's going on, in the church, the, the faithful are kind of caught in the middle, and they're like, oh, what do we do? And John sends them this letter and um, David, you'll put up that first slide. This is, this is an interesting, I don't have the, the verses written out here, but just some references. The number of times, I counted at least 12 times that John is assuring his people, that John's assuring the church. There's just some, some uh, verse references that we might get up here, but just shows you the number of, there we go. So, this is, so these are the... A number of times, in in one way or another, that John is reassuring the people, saying, you're on track. You're on track. No, what I taught you, what you heard from the beginning, that's the message. That's the message. Stick to it. Stick to it. Again, he's reassuring, reassuring, reassuring them. John's not happy. He even calls these people anti-Christs. They are opposed to the message of Jesus. And he's giving them these challenges. Boil them down. He's given them the challenge to practice truth. Last week, we hit on the humanity of Jesus. You guys remember that? And, and uh, Shannon, you talked about how Jesus wasn't just like a Superman, right? A superhero. And because if Jesus is a superhero, then we're all, like, hopeless, right? Like, there's no following Superman. He takes off to fly, and we're like, oh, okay. Actually, there's a really interesting story in the beginning of Acts where it says Jesus ascended. And the disciples are like, just standing there. And an angel comes, a messenger from the Lord comes and speaks to them and says, hey, why are you gazing into the sky? Fast forward just a little bit from there, kind of in essence, what he's saying is don't gaze into the sky, look within, because the enabling spirit is within you. It's not about looking off into the distance, it's about seeing Jesus has reconciled us to God so that... Not just to take you to heaven someday so that his presence could abide within you and me together. And that's the, the deposit of his love, the mark of his love. But it's also the enabling to practice the truth and follow Jesus' example. And now we're getting to this challenge. This is this, he's, he's speaking to his people. He's reassuring them. He's challenging them. He's pointing to the example of Jesus. And now we get to this point Where he says, okay, now this is what it's about. This is the command love. This is the command love one another. And this is where we dig into with uh, this chunk of scripture, this monstrous chunk of scripture. It's like a, uh, this is like one of those really thick steaks that you bite into and you're like, it just keeps on coming, you know? Um, that's kind of how this, how this, uh, how this chunk of scripture. Is. So, all right. So we get through those challenges, and now we're at this point. Where it's this is it, guys. This is the command: love one another. If you don't love, you don't know God. If you love, you know God, and he he's going to make these these really kind of clear distinctions. So, let's see. Do we have that that passage ready to rock? Can we do that? First John four. Seven, I can just read it too. Keep. What's that? Seven through 21. Yeah. We talk about these things beforehand, you know, plan these things out. All right. I'll start reading it here. First John 4, starting at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I want you to pay attention to these these distinctions that John is making. He's really black and white in these passages. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this love of God, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the... Say it with me. Propitiation. Is that the version that we've got up there? The, somewhere up there. That He would be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide. And he's reassuring. This is how you know that we abide in he and us. Because he's given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So... We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no love, sorry, there's no fear in love, but perfect fear. Who perfect love casts out fear. love not, love, (laughs) hate not, (laughs) love brother. All right, so there's a lot of love going on, a lot of knowing, a lot of not knowing, hating, all this kind of stuff. So again, big picture, John's reassuring his people. He's saying, this is how you know. The message that I brought you from the beginning was legit. I saw We touched, we saw, we heard with with our own eyes, with our own ears, with our own hands. That time that Thomas reached out his hand and and, and he said, I'll I'll believe it if I can see it. And Jesus, I'll believe it if I can touch it. And Jesus says, go for it. And John's like, yeah, I saw that. It was there. And this is it. And this is how you know. And he gives them like this, uh, this litmus test. This is how you know that you are God's people, that you love. This is how you know that you're not God's people, that you don't love. And again, he's, he's making this case against his opponents who are saying, that doesn't matter how we live, right? And he's saying, no, 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 this is the line. This is the distinction. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit more. I'm going to ask you a few questions that I want you to think about. You can write down your answers to. We'll come back to them, and then we're going to break down a few elements of these passages, okay? So a question for you. Imagine this. I come up to you, and I've I've got some bad news to deliver to you. You've lost all your money. You've lost your job. You've lost your home. And some of you have maybe experienced this before. You've gotten this news. It's all gone, all right? You have nothing. You're homeless. You're penniless. You are worth. Less materially. Okay? So here are three questions for you. How long does it take you to find something to eat? Just play this out in your mind. How long does it take you to find something? What What would be your first step? How long would it take you to find something to eat? How long would it take you to find a place to sleep? How long would it take you to find work? Did I mention you lost your job? Yeah. Sorry, more bad news. Um, how long does it take you to do those things? You can write your answer down, think about it, whisper it to your neighbor, whatever you want to do, okay? Tweet it, hashtag DRChurch, I'm poor, I don't know. All right, um, all right, we'll come back to that. So we're going to talk about four things about this passage. There are many, many things we can talk about, and I've been sort of sifting, trying to, trying to get down to the, not just what, what it means, but what is most relevant to us so that we're not here for three hours, okay? What's, what, what's the most relevant thing to us in this passage and the most relevant things that we can cover within this time, all right? So three up front, why we love, how, we, how love works, and the third is what love is. So why or what's our motivation how it works and what it is in the first place. All right? See so with me? we're going to wrap up by talking about what we don't get. So why, how, what, and what, we're, what, what we don't get. I'm going to uh, I'm going to point out some things I think that will be a little bit challenging to us. I kind of hope that they are. I hope that they make us uncomfortable. I am uncomfortable. <laughs> That's a really funny thing to say. I'm generally, I'm, I'm very like, I, I'm like a magnet for awkwardness. These situations just come to me um, somehow, wherever I am. Um, but that's beside the point. I, th- these are things that I'm uncomfortable about and that I am uh, wrestling with and struggling with. And so as I say things today, I want you to keep it, like, let's, let's keep it personal And don't just make me like a talking head up here, like, oh, the preacher said this or that. No, I said it, and I'm wrestling, okay? So wrestle with me, not literally, but figuratively wrestle with me through these things, okay? All right, so why do we love? What's our motivation? All right, uh, David, you can put the first chunk of that passage back up. I'm going to read verse 7 through 11. Okay, so why do we love? Beloved. So you'll see this, this word come up a couple of times in this passage, beloved. He's, he's getting their attention. And again, how's he getting their attention? John is, he's like, his heart is full of love for these people. So he's getting their attention. Beloved, hey, pay attention. Let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. It was shown. It was... Uh, Manifest. It was seen and felt and heard physically among us. By this, it was made like that among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Next verse, beloved, again, getting their attention. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So what's he talking about here? First of all, (laughs) he's talking about love. Why? What's our motivation? First of all, it's about who God is, all right? It's about God's nature and character. If you encounter God, the natural response is to love. And not just love, and we'll get to how this is defined, but it's not just this, this gushy feeling of love. It's not just attraction. It's Active love. When you encounter God, you will know, you can ask yourself, well, did I really encounter God? The question is, well, do you love? Wow, this time of worship was so great today. I really felt God. Really, did you love better? (laughs) These are the kind of things that John is throwing out to us, okay? So who God is, when you encounter him, a natural outcome of encountering Him, a natural outcome of knowing Him and Him abiding in us is that we practice love toward one another. So it's about who God is. Secondly, it's about, there's a sense of, an, of, of gratitude. That, uh, this, this verse here, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word ought is a really, really strong word and it's used in other places throughout the New Testament. For example, Jesus tells a story about a servant who was forgiven his debt by his master. You guys remember this story? He was forgiven his debt, and then he goes out, and he grabs another guy who owed him a little bit, grabs him by the neck, right? Starts to choke him. That servant to his master, he was ought to his master. There's within, Couch within this word is indebtedness. You're indebted. He was indebted to his master. So it's not just that it, John's not just saying it's a good idea. It's a good idea for you to love. It's not a good idea. You are indebted if you have experienced God's love truly, and you've thought about how lovable, how unlovable you've been, and yet you have received love, and you know it because Jesus came into the world. All right. So if God so loved you, you ought. You are indebted to. Love one another. So it's about who God is, but there's also this indebted response of gratitude. Love is an indebted response of gratitude. The other thing I want to say about this, of why we love, is our motivation, it's not religious. It's not religious. We are not loving other people in order to earn God's favor so that he will love us. We're not doing good so that he will love us to earn his love or his favor. Nor are we, this is what we do a lot, Christians, let's be honest, trying to put God in our debt. Well, yeah, and think about it. Like, you know, we have like our our idea of like what uh, the, the daily quiet time idea. And when we have a quiet time, what do we mean by that? We mean like sit, it needs to be quiet. You read your Bible, listen to Chris Tomlin's song. Or not. Um, and like that's our idea of a quiet time, right? And when we fulfill that duty, what do we expect in return? Just honestly, what do we expect? Expect to have a good day, right? You expect not to uh, come up against temptation, not to lose your job, not to get a flat tire, because you fulfilled your duty. You come to church on Sunday, you gave. Why are we, why are we struggling financially? We've been giving. Really? God's in my debt, is what we're trying to say. And there are lots of religions around the world that practice this. Like, you fulfill certain routines and regimens and so that the spirits will be in your debt so that they'll do what you want them to do. You guys, following Jesus is not like that. Following Jesus is not like that. And God will not be manipulated by us. As much as we try, he will not. So it's not to earn God's favor, it's not to put God in our debt, nor is it for comparison. And this is the other thing that we do religiously. Out of religion, we compare ourselves to one another so that we know where we stand. Well, at least I'm doing better than that, dude. At least we're doing better than that church. That church is all talking about like how it's how you know, they're all secure in their salvation and they're the bride and they're sons and daughters and blah and all they do is talk about like how God loves them, but they don't do anything. But we do. This is some of where we go with that discussion, right? We do. We do stuff. What we're doing is we're comparing ourselves so that we feel better. We know where our standing is. We need something to compare ourselves so that we know how we're doing. And that's not what this is about. It's an indebted response of gratitude. In particular, when we start as Christians, once we start talking about social justice, a little preview. Where are we going from here? When we start talking about social justice, we get really good at comparing. And it becomes religion. It becomes religious. Yeah, let's engage with social justice. Let's fight poverty. Let's get active. And uh, a lot of times what we're doing in the midst of that is we're comparing ourselves with those other Christians who aren't doing anything. Does that make sense? Is that... Have you had conversations like this before? Had thoughts like that? And I, I know that I've been in conversations like this, and I've had these thoughts. And you guys, we can't go there. We can't go there. Love, our loving action in our city, and our lives, and our families, in uh, outreach to other nations cannot be a religious function. And if it becomes that way, we gotta hit pause and say, what are we doing? We can't be compelled into action in that way, okay? We've got to stop and say, who is God? Who are we to God? Let that be the foundation for what we do, okay? So motivation, why why we love. Why why do we love? It's an indebted response of gratitude. It's a natural response of knowing him, all right? So that's why. How? How does love work? look at verse 12 quick. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. (laughs) What do you think about that statement there? Does that seem a little bit like mystical and uh, like cryptic to you? What is he talking about? No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and in his love, his love is perfected in us. In other words, he mentioned in in some of the passages before this, if you don't love the person you have seen, you can't love somebody you haven't seen, right? And nobody's seen God because he's not visible in our realm. But when we love, God abides in us and his love is made a substantial reality. Nobody's seen the wind, but you've seen the effects of the wind, right? You know it exists in kind of the same way, nobody, if you walk out to your neighbors
1: in our community, hey, have you seen God lately? Have you seen him? We lost him. We talk like, hey, you found Jesus. Really?
0: Was he lost? Like where? He was like hiding under the couch. Um, nobody, nobody's seen God, but when we love, his love is perfected. And it's expressed through us and people see the effects of God in our lives and they say, Wow, this is the real
1: deal. That's my ringtone, is it? Okay. So, <laughs> so
0: all right, so does that make sense? He's saying like God's God's invisible, nobody's seen him, as we love. People start to see him, and John. This is the same person who wrote in John chapter thirteen. He quoted Jesus saying, "By this the world will know that you're my followers. How? By your love for one another." So this is the same person who wrote that before. He's copying that down. He thought he apparently thought it was important enough to write down and pass on to generations. By this, and this is just a restatement of that. This is how people will see God, who's not seen. We love. It's not, okay, so
1: that's how they'll know, how is it not? By our hatred, by our,
0: uh, well, we'll come back to that. I want you to think about that. If it's by our love, the world will know, how is it not? How will they not know? You know what I mean. All right, so we'll come back to that. How love works. Uh, Flip forward to verse 17. This, this is kind of restated in a different way here. By this is love perfected. So this word perfected is used twice. And it's the, it implies like this filling up. This, um, it implies an, an idea of fullness. By this is, is love made full among us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. All right, so by this. What's that referring to? Everything before that in this section. By these things, by our love for one another, is
1: love perfected with us. So, a couple of important points here, all right? Love is perfected not through our perception of
0: it. Hang with me here. I'm going to get heady for a second, maybe. God's love is perfected or made full among us not by our perception of it, and not by our experience of it, but by our expression of it. God's love is made full, and I'm talking individual, but also plural, okay, collective. God's love is made full among us and within us. How many of you want to feel God's love? You want to know it. You want to be secure. You want, your, you want like, to be free of bondage. You want assurance. You don't want to have fear of death and the day of judgment and all that stuff. You want to be able to take risk in your lives. Come on. Who wants to live a mediocre life? Nobody, right? Who wants to live a life of fullness, ability to take risks, to love radically? Yeah? In other words, this is how you do that. This is how God's love is made full among us. Not by our perception of it, not by our experience of it. In other words, not by analyzing it and being able to write it out. It's not, so the first person is sort of the, the intellectual who thinks, like, if I could just figure this thing out, then I could do stuff. Then I would really have it together. If I could just, like, figure this thing out and map out God's love and write a treatise and, and uh, you know, and, and, I, and then I can really just do it. I'm just not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm not convinced. I'm not, you know, and go around and around and around. Now, the second person is, if I could just experience it, that's how it's made. If you, You'll put up that, uh, that second image. Uh, this is a lot of times what our idea of, is, of how God's love is perfected
1: with us. That. I don't know how well you can see that, but. Can you, can you see what that is? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a worship concert, right? And you think, like, if I could just go to this place that has great lights and great music and smoke, then love would be perfected in me. Then I would really know God's love, and then I would be able to live that life, right? It becomes like a Mecca for us. If I could just go to that place. Where God's love is. Look at how much God's love is
1: there. Uh, Is there anything wrong with that? Not necessarily. Um, Not necessarily, right? What's that?
0: It's there's a little bit of a little bit of consumerism maybe going on. A little bit. So okay, I don't want to analyze it too deeply. I'm not trying to cast stones here. Only little pebbles. But um, All right, so the first person says, if I could just get it, if I could just get my head around it through perception. The other person says, "If, if I could just experience God's love, then I would know. Then his love would be full, and then I'd be able to live this life. And John's saying it's not by your perception. It's not by your experience. It's by your expression of God's love, that his love is perfected in us. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Well, serve. Love people. No, no, no. It needs to be more complicated than that. No, it doesn't. Love. Love people who are unlovable. You will know God's love through that. And maybe this is a part of like what it, like the experience. I don't know if other people, I'm sure others of you can relate with this. Becoming a parent transformed my relationship And perception and experience of God. Because I realized through these kids what I am like, you know? And when they can't return the love, it's like, carry your weight, come on. They're like, I'm two. I can't, you know? And that's me, I'm two. I'm a mess. I'm a grubby, smelly. Non-contributing mess. And he loves me, and God loves me. And it says, "I love this person, that, I, that there's a fullness that happens in my life." All right, so how love works, it, it, so here, here's a quote, "The reality of God, the reality of God's love, presses itself into our lives, as we love." I kind have of a poetic way to think about it. It presses itself into our lives as we love. God's love reaches completion to the degree to which it is shared among us. Again, I want to be careful not to get too individualized here. God's love reaches completion within us to the, in, in proportion or to the extent that it is shared among us. Again, how many people want to feel God's love? How many people want to know and be convinced? We have got to love one another. We've got to do it. You gotta have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody and say, hey, I've never talked to you before. Are you okay? (laughs) We've been going to the same church for six months. I still don't know your name. I'm sorry. Like, let's just break through that junk,
1: all right? All right, How how love works. It's perfected
0: within us as we love. The second point here is that it's made tangible around us as we love. So again, what does John say in 1335? This is how the world will know. God is made tangible among us. And what, is, what, is, what are we referred to? What is the church referred to in Scripture as? But the body of Christ, right? We are the physical manifestation of Jesus in the world. There's no other physical manifestation of Jesus in the world. He says to his disciples in one place, you are the salt and the light. He says it to them. You are the, and he says it to us. You, you're it. We're like, us? What? And you look at the person next to you and you're like, her? Him? We're it. We are the physical manifestation of Jesus in the world. And as we love, God becomes tangible. You can, you can touch. You can feel. You can hear. You can see him as we love. The flip side of that is he is not made tangible when we don't love.
1: I don't want to limit that. I don't want to limit what God can do in the world because of my non-cooperation with him.
0: The third thing I want to say about how love works and I... This is a little bit of a tangent, but it's not because it's central to everything here is that the spirit within empowers us. The spirit within us empowers us. This is not just something that we can conjure up on our own. And if you're feeling condemnation right now, I'm like, oh, well, I can't do all this stuff. I, man, I'm busy. I'm not trying to get you to do more. I'm trying to get you to do things differently.
1: Okay, so if you'll put up uh, that, that third slide, Dave, I just want to say something quick about grace. Okay?
0: The Spirit within, if the Spirit abides in you, the Spirit enables you to accomplish God's will. And here's a handy little acronym for you. Grace, God, it doesn't just save, okay? It's not just amazing grace that saves you and helps you fly away someday, God raises abilities, capacities, and expectations. He will increase your ability. He will increase your capacity. You think, I can't do that, and the Spirit's like, yeah, you can. Watch this. Have you ever had somebody help you stretch before? Yeah, you can. You can touch your toes. Watch this. And you're like, oh. God raises our abilities, our capacities, and our expectations. When our expectations are down here, we say, "God, please increase my expectations." And He says, "Okay, whoop." And God, the crazy thing is that God usually, like He works to the extent that we have expectations. He, Jesus, we read about Jesus not being able to work in His hometown because the people had no expectation. They're like, "Oh, that guy," and that's us as a church. A lot of times we're like, "Oh, Jesus, that thing." Yeah, we've sang that song before. That was all right. <laughs> Expectation is just down here for what, like what God wants to do through us and in our lives. Spirit empowers us. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. I talked about this before up front. Um, but Think back to Sunday school. You who grew up in good Christian homes and went to Sunday school. You had the flannel board. You remember the fruit of the Spirit? What are they? Love, joy, Peace. Patience, kindness, self-control, faithful. Those, goodness, yes. All of those things, where do they come from? The fruit of who? The Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Where? Within you, right? In other words, the Spirit gives birth to these things from within you. And if any of you in this room have given birth recently, you can remind us how painful that can be. Right? To give birth. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's comfortable. But it's possible. Right? All right. So why we love, what's our motivation, and how love works, how the Spirit works from within us. Let's move on to this last point, what, what love is. John's talking about a specific kind of love called agape. Agape. am sure some of you guys who have been around church have heard, have heard teachings about the different kinds of love in the New Testament, agape, the different kinds of Greek love, agape, phileo, that eros word, which we won't go into today, uh, and that other one, storge. Um, agape is, this, is kind of like the deepest, most profound kind of love that we see expressed in Greek. And it's this unconditional love. It's love for love's sake. Love not because it's going to be returned. It's not about attraction. It's just
1: loving just because. It's sacrificial. It's not self-seeking. It's deep. A definition of love that I think helps us, and we need definitions
0: of love in, in the culture that we live in, A definition of love that I think is helpful is choosing the highest good for the other, period. It's not feeling warm feelings toward the other. It's not um, thinking happy thoughts towards another. It's choosing the highest good for the other person, or for God, as you
1: choose it for yourself, as Jesus says, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So.
0: I'm not going to dwell on that. I just want to hit that point. It's, it's unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's not self-seeking. It's selfless. So what? All right, so John contrasts love with something else, right? Love is evidence of knowing God and him abiding in you. And there's another piece there that's hatred. If you'll put up that, that fourth slide, Dave. All right, so love
1: and hate. And John draws a line in between. And he says, if you say you love God
0: and you hate your brother and sister, you are a liar and you don't know God and he doesn't abide in you. Okay, so hatred is something that um, I think we get what hatred is, right? Like contempt. What are the words that come to mind when you think about hatred? Bitterness. Enemy, resentment, like, there are these really, like, ugh, these, like, powerful emotions, right? But there's, there's a, I think that there's a, a uh, more discreet form of hatred. Like, I think we get contempt, we get, we get that kind of, like, deep emotional hatred. And there's an aspect of hatred that I think we don't get. And this is the, the final area I want to get into, what we don't get. And that's this. If you
1: go to the next one, it's this. What I want you to see here is that there is no space for
0: indifference in love. Therefore, it falls in this other category completely. And better yet, maybe instead of it being there if you go to the next one, it goes over here, far like other other thinkers what does Mother, Mother Teresa says something about indifference? The greatest sin of a man is not the hatred, but the indifference to his brothers. It's a cold, careless form of hatred. It's just like I don't know, whatever. C.S. Lewis, the old go-to for good evangelical sermons, all right, says indifference is the main enemy of love, not hatred. Hatred is obvious. Contempt. It's obvious. You're like, dude, don't do that. Oh, okay, I kind of want to, but I'll try not to. Indifference is, is it's, it's so discreet, it's so hidden. Jesus hits indifference really hard in the
1: Gospels. Really hard. He tells a story that's recorded in Luke chapter 10 about the
0: Good Samaritan. He says, this dude got beat up on the road. People were walking by. They passed him. They said, I don't have time. I don't want to touch that. I'm busy. I'm too good for that. Another guy comes up, helps the person, and takes him, takes him to a hotel, says, I'll pay everything, take care of him, nurse him back to health. It just so happened that person was from a lower class, a lower ethnicity that is taboo. And Jesus is saying, this dude did my will, not the others. Another place in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about goats and sheep. He says, in the final day of judgment, I will separate off, all the nations will be before me, I will separate the goats to my left and the sheep to my right. This is intense. He says, I'll separate the goats to my left and my she- the sheep to the right. The goats, I'll tell, or the, the, start with the sheep. He says, "You, I, I fed you. No, when, when, you, when I was poor, When I was in jail, when I had need, you took care of me. And the sheep are like, whoa, really? When did we see you? And he says, when you did that to the least of these, you were doing it for me. Enter in with me. And they're like, awesome. And he tells the goats, when I was hungry, when I was in prison, when I was beaten down, you did not help me. Go away from me. You will not enter into my rest. And the goats are like, and these are people, not like actual goats. Um, The goats are like, when did we see you? And he said, when you didn't do it for the least of these, that was me that you were rejecting.
1: In other words, you were indifferent, and that's not good enough. You're not welcome. That's intense, right? All right, so.
0: I wanna challenge you. How does indifference look in your life? How does it look within your family, within your sphere of relationships? Within, even within this church, look around this room. How does indifference, how, how is it expressed? How does it have root in your life? Secondly, this is where things get a little hairy for us. I want you to think about our city and our our society. What does indifference look like for us, for you personally,
1: for us as a church, within our city, within our society? Look around. Think about, and I want to bring up a couple of examples, and
0: they're relevant, especially in the, the political climate that we are in. You guys, the gospel is political. In the church, the gospel necessitates that we engage politically. You think, well, I didn't come to church here about politics. <laughs> it, because when we get over our indifference and we see our brothers and sisters who we're called to love, who are marginalized, who are as Jesus said, being put in prison, being beat down, being oppressed, we
1: have to say, hold up, pause, we got to do something. We've got to do something.
0: The climate that we're in, the the election season, this madness that we're in the middle of, you guys, we have to engage. What I don't want to do today is say, hey, support this candidate support this policy. I'm not even there. Like, I don't know. I don't know what to say, what to vote for, what you should do. I've got some feelings I'm trying to sort out. But I am wrestling. I wanna make that really clear, okay? I'm not, in, I'm not advocating for a policy or a program. Like, I'm, just, I'm not there personally. We're not there as a church. You with me? Okay, so everybody, don't throw stuff at me, okay? We live in a culture of indifference toward the marginalized. We have extremes. It's either indifference or it's a religious extremism that says we're better because we're fighting for these people. And both of those are ditches, pitfalls that we don't want to go into.
1: I want to talk about our relationship to our African-American brothers and sisters in our city. I'll say these things, I don't want you to, (laughs) I'll say this up front too, I don't, what I'm
0: advocating for is relationship and friendship at this point, okay, moving toward understanding that moves us toward love. I don't want to spotlight the non-white people in our church and say, hey, go find them after the service, give them a hug, and say, I'm sorry, and do this and that, just chill, all right, don't, let's not do that.
1: Um, okay, enough preface and, and all that stuff. The report recently that, that you guys might have seen is that Wisconsin
0: is the worst state in America for disparity between white and African American kids in terms of economics, education, many different factors. The worst of the 50. Does that surprise you? You guys heard this
1: report? The worst in terms of disparity. That, That should make us stop
0: and think, huh, a lot of these people are our brothers and sisters. What do we
1: do about that? What do I know about this? Do I understand this at all? ProPublica says that black males aged 15 to 19
0: are 21 more times likely to be killed by police than white males in that age group.
1: 21 times. Another report says that unarmed black men are seven
0: times more likely to be killed by police than unarmed white men. That's pretty intense, right? I'm not even going to go into incarceration rates, and I don't think I am. Well, 30% of African Americans aged 25 to 29 without a high school diploma are in prison today. One-third. One-third. America has one of the highest incarceration rates per capita of any nation in the world. Like We're ahead of North Korea, Cuba, lots of other nations that we look down on, and they look at us, and they're like, you put all your people in jail. What are you talking about, human rights? Like, we got to kind of scratch our heads and ask some questions here.
1: The case of Levittown, New York. It's an interesting study. 1947, the government subsidized development,
0: put homes on sale. Average, average uh, home price was $8,000 in 1947. It would have been affordable to average working-class families, a lot of African-American families that could have purchased at that time, but were not allowed. That's about $125,000 in
1: in today's currency. Today, those homes are worth $500,000. It was opened up for blacks to buy in 1968,
0: after those properties had become unaffordable. So just think about that like on that micro level and then maybe expand it to our nation. So when we say, hey, just get over it. Everything's equal now. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Think about that equity and think about what you do with that equity and the way that you educate your children and you give an inheritance and you invest and you grow your wealth, right? When you're locked out of an economic system, It's like a Monopoly game that starts, and you're like, hey, screw you guys. You can play with ones for now. And then uh, an hour into the game, you're like, oh, let's let's even this thing out. You know what? Okay, equal rights. Everybody can buy now. And they're like, yeah, but we got ones. What do you mean, right? I'm not saying, I'm not pointing at, I don't want to have this rhetoric of victimization, okay? I just wanna say we've gotta stop and think about our history a little bit to be able to engage in our city, to be able to show this love
1: and not be indifferent like John is talking about. All right, some of us are uncomfortable
0: as people shouting Black Lives Matter and blocking East Washington. Some of us are uncomfortable with that. Most of us are white in this room. And if you fit, the
1: uh, you know, fit the bill for what we're mostly like as white evangelicals, you're uncomfortable with that.
0: When our response is to shout back, no, 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 all lives matter. No, 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 blue lives matter.
1: No, no, silence. No, no, you. When, when our immediate response is just to shout back, like we're
0: missing the point. And we're like, we're tone deaf.
1: We live in this echo chamber where we just shout and we hear ourselves. Okay, pause, deep breath. Whew. Am I saying that cops' lives are not valuable? I'm not saying that, of course. Am I saying
0: that all lives, that all lives don't matter? English is so tricky. Am I saying that all lives don't matter? No, I'm not saying that. All lives matter, yes, right? Yes, of course, but we have to look at our history, which affirms the opposite. That's based on a foundation of enslavement of a certain people group. That says actually, you're, you're, those lives don't matter that much. Like we got we we need to look deep within and look back behind us, and say, what is the conversation here, and are we really listening? I'm not saying that we need. To, I'm not saying that I'm a voice for the
1: African American community. I'm not saying that we need to be a voice. We need to listen. We need to engage. We need to ask questions. All right, go go to that
0: next slide, please. Now, Think about this. this is, I'm borrowing this from a guy named uh, Marlon Jacobs, Marlon James. Sorry. All right, so non-racist. We say, this is often our response, white evangelical response. I can speak for us, I feel like. <laughs> I'm not a racist. I never had
1: slaves. We, we're, we're not, I'm a non-racist, right? I'm a non-racist. I'm justified. My conscience is clear because of my non-action. All right? But switch that, switch that word, switch that to the next slide. Think about this case. Think of, if we switch that
0: and we just talk about rape. I'm a non-rapist, I'm good. People are getting raped. No, no, I'm good. My conscience is clear because I don't do that. I never did that. Yeah, yeah, but people are getting raped. No, no, no. It's I never did that. I can go to bed tonight, sleep well, because I never did that. Like, that requires action, right? Right? You can't be a non-rapist. You have to be an anti-rapist,
1: right? And it's not good enough for us to be non-racist. We have to be anti-racist. Because as we pay attention, as we become aware of the concerns of our brothers and sisters, even in this city, we have to stop and say, whoa, we need to listen and we need to do something and not just be indifferent. I'm gonna skip over a whole other discussion on immigration.
0: (laughs) It's a complex issue, can arrive at many points. My question for you is beyond where you stand on how to resolve and how to keep America safe, what is your attitude toward these people who up to 90%, 80 to 90% of these people crossing our borders claim Jesus as Lord? I was watching some footage the other day of one person crossing the border saying, God has been with
1: me this far. He will not leave me now. He's not talking about Allah. And so when we talk
0: about immigration and we talk about illegal immigrants or undocumented persons, however you want to say that,
1: is it through clenched teeth and hatred? Oh, these immigrants. Is it through indifference?
0: Is your American identity? Does your identity as an American come before
1: your identity as a follower of Jesus? We've got to stop and think a little bit about how we approach these things.
0: All right, I want to tell a quick story. I know we're we're moving on toward a time that we need to be done. I was sitting in a coffee shop the other day and um, was doing some work, and I get a message from a friend of mine in East Africa on my phone. And I say friend and I mean it. He's my friend. And he sends me a message and he says, hey, can we talk? Yeah, so we start chatting. And um, he's telling me about what's going on and the challenges and it's the rainy season and his work takes place outdoors. And he, can't, he, has a, he owns a business which takes place outdoors. It's hard for him to work in the rainy season. Things are hard. And um, I'm chatting with him, chatting with him. And I and I dig in a little bit deeper. How's your health? How are you doing? And then I just ask him straight up, How much? What have you? Uh, what are you eating lately? And he kind of goes around the question, like, No, no. What did you eat today? What have you eaten yesterday? He says, Usually, I have one meal a day, and I have tea. What do you say when? What, how do you respond when your friend tells you that? What do you do when your friend tells you, Yeah, I've only had one meal a day lately? What do you say? What do you do? You have to respond, right? There's no space for indifference in friendship. None. There's no space for indifference in friendship and in love. My friend told me he was only having one meal a day. Man, I sent him some money right away. The money that I had, and I'm like, dude, take this. This is in the context of a friendship over the course of about eight years, Okay. I want you to think back to your answer to these questions. I asked you, how long would it take you to find, find a place to sleep, to find food, to find work? How long would it take you? Minutes to find food? Maybe an hour? How long would it take you to find a place to sleep? A few hours? How long would it take you to find a place to work? A lot of people say a week, a few weeks. Why? Why would it only take you that long? And maybe not everybody here fits that. Why would it only take you that long? It's because you have people who would deal with you would relate with you in a way that's not indifferent. They would show friendship to you. You are not marginalized because you have friends who will reach out to you and will help to fill your need. Right? They won't relate with you with indifference. This is what I wanna challenge us toward today and moving ahead is toward friendship. Again, I'm not advocating for like, let's do this program and let's solve all our problems, no. I simply want to challenge you to build a friendship with someone, a different racial group,
1: a different economic class. Learn, ask questions. For your current relationships, I want to challenge you to think about what it means to choose love and where indifference has a root in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. And again, think beyond that into our city, the place
0: where we live. I want to challenge you to build relationships. There's no room for indifference in
1: relationship and in friendship. I want to challenge you today to just go make make a friend and ask questions and learn, okay? What are the concerns of our neighbors? Invite the worship team to, to come up
0: and I'll pray for us. Holy Spirit, within us, show us what, how you want to express love from within. Show us how you want to move us past indifference, even places of deep hatred in our hearts. Show us how you want to bear fruit in our lives. Teach us ways, God, that, that we've been passive, or we've been non, non-active, and just sat back and said, well, it's not my problem teach us what it means to engage, Lord. Teach us what it means to be active. Teach us about the concerns of our brothers and sisters who look and sound different than we do and live in different places than we do. Make us a church who who walks out what John is commanding here to show love toward one another. I pray that Your love would be filled up and perfected among us, Lord. That we would grow in Your love as sons and daughters
1: as we express it. Thank You, Jesus. Amen.